Good evening. Please pause with me as we go to our Father. Our Father, almighty God, indeed we confess that we are indeed so blessed. We are so blessed from the gifts from your hands. You who are the creator and sustainer of all that is created. I am not, I am nothing, I can do nothing without you. And so as we have gathered here this evening, it is my prayer that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our collective hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. I want to talk with you this evening about a very familiar biblical personality, Peter. But before we do so, may I ask you a question? Have you ever been persecuted? Have you ever felt as if you were persecuted, even though you may not have been able to put your finger on the specific persecution? And if so, is this persecution coming from someplace far away, or is it coming right from your own home? When we look at Peter, and I want you to turn there, please, with me, in the book of Peter, New Testament, First Peter, chapter 2. Here's a background. Peter, of course, is encouraging the believers who at this time have been under persecution. Not as intense as it would have been a few decades after he would have written this letter, but nonetheless, persecution anyhow. And so he thought that it was necessary to encourage the believers. But not only to encourage them, but also to, also to explain to them their privilege that they have in being in Christ Jesus. In other words, of being Christian, being born again. And so he thought it was important that he need to encourage them and to remind them of their privileges as a Christian. He also goes on later in chapter 2 to talk to them about their relationships within families and with government. Let me backtrack a little bit now when I talk to you about who you are. I talked about or I asked you about persecution. When I'm asking the question, always think also not only in terms of whether or not you have been the target or object of persecution, but I want you to always be cognizant of the fact of whether or not you have been the cause of persecution in the lives of somebody else. Let's look at First Peter again. I want to go back to chapter 1 just to remind you of something said there. And I think the last time I spoke with you I would have mentioned this verse but here it is, 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says this. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. I feel it necessary to read it again because I don't believe you heard it. I'm going to slow it down, but listen to the words. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. Those of you who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. Think about that for a moment. You have been born again. Do you know that there are some people today who are teaching that you cannot be born again? As a matter of fact, some of them say that there's a limited number of persons who can be born again. And they gave a specific number. As a matter of fact, the last person to be born again was in 1935. So any of you who were born after that, ah, bad shape indeed. But not only that, you can see, but these people believe that. I think my last check was that there were less than eight persons in the Bahamas who fell in that category, persons who were born again according to the teaching of a certain sect. But isn't it wonderful to know that you, according to Scripture, you have placed faith in Jesus Christ that you are born again? Isn't that wonderful? I wish to pause here just again to thank the praise team, the musicians and the choir for their ministry this evening. Thank you so much for your ministry. God is good, isn't he? Sometimes? All the time. God is good. And what we were singing a while ago, that he's also great, great beyond measure. But we take that for granted because I don't think we pause long enough to think about that. We say it, but do we ever pause to let it get into us? God is great. Now, here's a catch. You are God's child. You have been born of God. You, what I read just now, you have been born not of an, a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. In other words, it says, by the living and abiding word of God. In human terms, when I think of birth or conception and the characteristic of an individual, I think we use the term, I think Pastor Lee may have used the term maybe last Sunday, but we would, even this morning in his message, he talked about your DNA, your deoxyribonucleic acid. <laughs> That's the short term for your DNA. That has been coded and tells me, for example, my dad was about six feet three. My mom was, is, I think she's getting shorter every year. But uh, she, she's about five feet eight. I suppose in female terms, that's tall, I'm told. But because of what they contributed to me being here, 
the, the, the code has been written as to how tall I was going to be. I don't know, I must have messed up how much I suppose away. But, um, but the, the color of my eyes have been written on that code that, is, that, that comes with my DNA. The, 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 my hair texture, all of that has been written because of what I got from my parents. Your hair, the real one, not the one you buy. The, 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 your hair, that has been given to you by your parents. That has been written in your code, your genes, your DNA. Well, when we think about this, that you have been born again, think about it for a moment. What is it that you got from your heavenly parentage? What is that? So when I compare these two things about your complexion or the pigmentation of your skin, that comes from my parents. Yours come from your parents. But when I think spiritually, and I want to reemphasize this again, you have been born again. That is not a trite statement. If you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, that should mean something. I told you this, I think, before. I went fishing with my dad once. I remember it because it didn't happen often. And he took me in the boat with him, and he had two of his other friends with him. And one of them asked me a question. I remember the question because he says, do you want to be like your dad? I am smart, I thought then. And I th so I am outnumbered. There are three male adults in this little dinghy boat. And this one of the friends of my dad asked me, do you want to be like your dad? Now, come on. What do you think I say? <laughs> yes, sir. Before they threw me overboard, I don't even know if I could swim yet. But, but that, that, was, that was the easy question. But how much do I reflect? I'm told that I used to walk like him. You know, I think they call it, or recently they used to call it a bop. There, there's, a, there's a hop in your step. You know, well, I think I may have modified that, so probably I now glide, you know. But, but whatever it is, some people would have, as I walked through the community, would have said, that, 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 who's your father? You, you, you're your father. You, you look like you get you this, you that about your father. Or they might say this, you get this trait about, something about you that reminds me about your mother. When I mentioned a while ago that there are some persons who say or teach that they cannot be born again, that's so sad. Because inherent in that statement is the fact that they don't even have the certainty of their security or eternal security in Christ Jesus. Because all of that is eliminated in the same, at the same process or the same time. Do you know that you have been born not of perishable seed, but imperishable? Doesn't that make you feel goosebumply good, that you don't have to worry about it, that you are eternally secure because of who your parent is. This is good news, I think. Listen to what it says here. Now think and hold that thought in mind that you are born again, and look with me now at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, now, Think all chapter 1, verse 23 in mind. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And through the, and 
that is through the living and abiding word of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, because you have been born again, putting aside all malice and guile or deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Proverbs 23.7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. These, these five, uh, five, I think, attitudinal and here is something said, so one speech or spoken forms of sin mentioned here. Malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Question, who is Peter talking to? Christians, is it possible for Christians to hold malice? <gasps> what about the other one? What about guile, deceit, <gasps> hypocrisy, envy, slander? I ask you again, have you ever felt that you were a victim of any of these? Malice? Guile, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Well, somebody said, I don't know what, what, what I mean. But it sounds like I've been a victim of all them. But let me tell you, give you a brief definition of what each of them means. Malice. I, I think this is a, the harboring of evil thoughts against another person. This person likes to see this antagonistic kind of relationship. Disputes. This feeds dispute. If you, it's like you used to play this little game with little children, you know, this hot cross bun. You want to see some action, some fight, and two persons getting into something. You stand between them with this stone or something in the hand, challenging the other person to knock it out of your hand. If you knock it out of your hand, you have to hit the other person first. You'll form a human ring around them because you want to see some action. Well, the person who practices or practices malice, likes to see this thing happen, and they secretly hope for revenge. In other words, they look for a tragedy or some harm that will befall another. I, I think of uh, George Washington Carver, a U.S. citizen, uh, who was denied access into a certain university simply because of the pigmentation of his skin. Well, to shorten that story, uh, Mr. Carver eventually went to university graduate becoming this particular university, the first black person to enter that and, and passed, and later on went to Tuskegee, where he became a professor there. Someone asked him later, what, what was the name of that university that didn't allow you entrance simply because of your color? He simply said, nah, it doesn't matter. It's not important anymore. That's an example of someone who did not hold malice, because he had the mic in front of him. He could have exposed the university because, you know, some people are always looking for something they call news. But he did not. Think about yourself. Do you have any of these traits? Do you harbor evil thoughts? And notice this is here. It is difficult to see. It's a thought. They can be seated right behind you or standing in front of you. It is not something you can see. What about guile or deceit? 
I believe that this is any form of dishonesty or trickery, deliberately submitted, cheating on an exam. What about time at work when you're supposed to be working and you use the excuse you're doing meditation? But you pray. You know, it sounds religious or spiritual. And you know you're supposed to be doing something else. That's deceit. What about custom? Coming back into the country with those big duffel bags that you need three porters to drag. I won't talk about lip. And yet when you come through them and they ask you, what did you spend? $50.99. Deceit, guile, shady deals. What about how old you are? <laughs> Let's go quickly past that deceit. Okay. <laughs> Hypocrisy is another one. This is a pretense. This is insincerity. This is the person who's a play actor pretending to be someone he or she is not. And sometimes we do this very, very good. This person, of course, they pretend to be interested in your welfare. They talk sometimes about how much of a happy marriage they have, but when you get home, their home or their marriage is hell in the house. They talk about how well or how spiritual they are on weekends, but through the week, there is no inkling of spirituality demonstrated in their lives. That's hypocrisy of the rankest kind. What about envy? What is this thing called envy? I think it's resentful, discontent. Avine defines it as the feeling of displeasure produced by observing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. Wow. If you tell me about something, you tell me you get good news. You know, Brother Joe, I heard you just got a good something. And I come to find smiling at Brother Joe, fantastic. And as soon as Brother Joe turns, my demeanor switch. <laughs> you know, because Brother Joe is getting the applause. But some people do that to you. And I'm talking about, let's bring it home, some Christians do that. So not all of them who come shaking your hand and smiling at you, you know, mean you well. These people are envious. You have just something wonderful has happened to you. And you are excited and thought it is safe to bring it to your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you know, that they will rejoice with you as we are commanded to do. But they only do it superficially. But they are envious. They are harboring feelings of displeasure. When you succeed, you make me sick. That's the attitude that they have. Do you remember the chief priest in Scripture, Matthew 27? Why do you think they delivered Jesus up to, to Pilate? Because of envy. Scripture is very clear on that. Some people, it's amazing. There's a variety of things that they will be envious of. Do you believe that some people are envious of others simply because of their dress? You say, look at them. They think there's all that and that. Somebody said something yes, yes to Friday that, um, and I was within earshot that this person is supposed to look like all that in a bag of chip with cheese in it or something else. You know, it's amazing. I've got to learn the language. Career choice, some people are uh, envious of your possession, your car. And you, you, you look at you always smiling. What's wrong with you? You never get sick, eh? 
you know, and some people think it. These are these thought things. What about the other one? Slander. Now, sometimes we mix up slander and libel. Well, I put it this way. If it starts with S, it means you spoke it. <laughs> if it's lies, something you, you write down, you lay it down, lay the pen to paper. Well, what about slander? This is evil speaking. I call it spiritual cannibalism. This is people who bite your back. Backbiting. Lies. Malicious gossip. And some people specialize in gossiping. And, they, they, and they're very creative. The way they come and present things to you. And you have this itching ear because you want to hear it. Ch I told you before, if somebody starts a sentence with child, watch out. Child? Oh, no. No, no. Rewind. Start. Maybe bring that up. Because it's unlikely that they're probably going to end that well. But these people are good at it. So they need, they need mouth guard. And you need back with that bulletproof. Think, well, you need something called bite-proof jacket because they'll bite you in the back. But how do you tell the difference? And this is happening within the body. Now, against this backdrop, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. You're supposed to be reflecting the DNA of your heavenly father. Does it please your father to harbor malice? Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Late last year, early in last year, you heard on the news about the two brothers who, well, one of them killed another, another brother. You remember that story? Wasn't that tragic? And then you remember what, what, what caused the argument? Was something trivial? Almost like you kill another brother for a pair of tennis shoes. A brother dying over a tennis shoe. Some of you look at it and say, my God, mm. what's this world coming to? Because that's within the family. Dispute. In the spiritual or the body of Christ, when we do these things to one another, does this please our Heavenly Father? Is this reflective of our spiritual DNA? I think not. Peter is here talking to the Christians. Because you have been born again. Therefore, put these things away from you. Don't even entertain them. And these are things in your head, at least five, four of them, are attitudes that people hold. When they speak, they're influencing somebody else. But the other one, the, you could probably miss it but they do it nonetheless. See, how about this one? This one, especially with slander, people are very good at this. This one is an attempt, I think, um, to make oneself look cleaner by slinging mud on the other person. I will say something negative about this other person to make me look good. She's, she's very faithful, you know, in, in whatever she does at church, but, but she really needs to do something about that dress and that hair. They say a positive, <laughs> then they swing up, on the other side with something negative, you know. They do that very, some people are very good here. They add this religious flair to it, you know. They say, now, I, I mentioned this only as a matter of prayer, you know. But um, please pray for Sister Blank because her husband is being unfaithful to her. Pray for her. 
you're just gossiping using the guise or umbrella of prayer because you really don't care about the, whether or not that relationship is mended or not. You pick up some gossip, you want to hear somebody say, oh, child, me too, how long? And then you, and then you write this, tell me more so I can pray more intelligently. <laughs> you don't, don't try that, you know. We got to stop this kind of slandering or speaking evil of it and stop bringing it under, cloaking it under this guise as if we care about the other person. None of these, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander should have any place in the life of those who have been born again of that imperishable seed. In other words, the living and abiding word of God. Instead, look at First uh, Peter again, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, this is what should happen. Instead of doing, put those things away, and here's what we should be doing. Here's an exhortation. Like newborn babes long for the pure or sincere milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. I like that. Instead, like newborn babes long for the pure, sincere milk of the word, that it, by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, I don't believe that Peter here is calling readers as readers newborn in a sense of being new Christian, new or recent Christians. But I believe he's simply saying this. I want you to act like newborn babies in relation to their desire for milk. Now, I know, but how do little newborn babies, when they need to be fed, how do they carry on? Royal. They let you know, I want feed me now till I want no more. All right. Because that's the, and they, they let you know. And if you don't feed them, you will have no peace. <laughs> until you do so. Feed them. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you ever watch uh, puppies feeding? You know, watch them. They attack that mother as if it almost looks violent because they want milk. What we've been asked to do here by Peter is saying, us believers as as Christians, as born-again people, we should desire the pure milk of the Word. But how many of us really want to go read the Bible? You ever hear somebody say, every time I read the Bible, I fall asleep? Says, I can't read that. I, must get, I have to be standing up to read that. Because, Lord, if I sit down, oh, don't let me lay down. You know, but you should know who you are, what is your, where you're vulnerable. But even if somebody else is teaching it, or whether there's an opportunity where you can engage and interact and the Bible is explained and discussed, you seem to have no desire for it. What eventually happens to the baby who does not take its milk? Now, I ain't talking about no laxogen, SMA. They still make that. Um, carnation cream still exists, I'm sure. Um, but if the baby does not take its nutrient, what happens to the baby? He dead, eventually, <laughs> all right. Or, I think my, my son during the first uh, few hours was not nursing. That was the child, the boy looked like he ain't not opening mouth. So the doctor decided that he needs to be taken to the, to the, to the, um, the special unit, you know, for a while. He was there for a few hours, uh, maybe later that day. But he didn't want to eat. After he figured out how to do it, he stopped eating sandwich. But the baby who is not sucking, 
causes damage to themselves. The mother gets up, or the parents gets upset as well, because they're concerned that the child is not feeding. How do you think God feels when he's given us the milk, the sincere, pure milk of his word, and we reject it by not, simply we don't have no desire, we go on diet. Does the milk have too much calories? Are you watching something called math, I mean figures, figure? No. God wants us to engage in the study of his word. We're reminded of that in this morning's message as well. That is what we should be doing. Again, I remind you that you have been born again. You are God's child. He wants to feed you. And you are saying, uh-uh. You are anorexic, spiritually speaking. You're refusing the food that he's providing. I say again that we too must have this insatiable craving for the pure milk of the word. It's our wholesome spiritual food. To fail to partake regularly and in sufficient quantity is sure to result in your spiritual malnutrition. Continuing here, it says, if you have tasted, this is what you should be doing now, seeking the pure milk of the word. And then it says in the bottom part here that if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now let me ask you, is God good? Does God not taste good? Doesn't it say, oh, taste and see? Taste it and see that the Lord is good. I believe this is an incredible motivation to continue and aggressively desire the pure milk of the word. Psalms 34 and 8 that tells us that, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when I think about the Lord and what he has done, and again, I thank the praise team for their special, the choir blends that right in. When I think about the Lord, you have been born again. When you think about what God did for that to take place on your behalf, does that not motivate you to say, I want more? Does that not encourage you to say, I need to stay drinking this milk. I need to be growing in my relationship, my knowledge of God and my relationship with him. But when I think about him, how he saved me, picked you up, where would you have been if he had not saved you? You say, mm -mm, Lord, have mercy. You won't even know. You probably wouldn't have been here. God has indeed been good to you. And so as he has been to me, I, am, I must unashamedly and enthusiastically proclaim that the Lord is good. Indeed, I have tasted and seen in my own life by faith as well that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He is good and sweet. That's my Lord. That's your Lord. Peter now moves quickly uh, from exhortation to the privilege that belongs to those who are born again. In chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, listen to what it says. And coming to him, as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for the holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This coming to him, I like that because it's very personal. It's habitual. It's, it's intimate communion and fellowship between you and your Lord. And I believe that it is an essential first step 
in a lifestyle that is marked by holiness. You are coming to him, the living stone. Earlier in chapter 1, Peter uses this term uh, in a unique way because he talks about his living hope first. Now he is here talking about this living stone. As opposed to, and I like the word living stone because you can have stones that are inanimate, dead, lifeless. But you're coming to him, this living stone, it has life in itself and it gives life to others. And yet, he, this living stone, was rejected by men who were too full of themselves to find room in their lives for the creator and the redeemer. And this same thing happened as a baby. There was no room for him when he was born in the inn. There was no room for him in some of our lives or persons we might know because they have rejected him even today. They rejected the one that God the Father has chosen and called precious. I, I, when I think about that, imagine that. God is... Have you ever been on a team? No, let me go back. You ever was a child not being selected when they were picking persons to be on their team? And or you were always the first person to, that you were picked when they're picking a team to play some game. Or you, were the you were the last person to be picked? Don't raise your hand, but put it up so I can see it. Thank you. Put it back down. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but imagine this now, that God has chosen you. God has chosen Jesus Christ as the living stone. And to God, Jesus is indeed chosen, special, and precious. And men, you and I, have in the past rejected him. That, that sounds so ludicrous, so stupid. That something, someone that God has selected, we, as if we are superior to God, we reject. But that is in fact so. Jesus came the first time Israel, his own people, rejected him. They thought, nah, you're not the Messiah. Then they crucified him. Today, people are still rejecting him. Let me encourage you. Do you have a problem with rejection? If someone rejects you, how do you feel? Let me encourage you, and I'll say it again. If you're rejected, you're in good company. They rejected Christ. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt to feel the rejection. But that's not the end of the story. God has chosen you. You have been born again. I say again to remind you. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. And so when those around you reject you, that's okay. Look to the one who chose you and say, you were special to me. That makes me feel good. I can be a hermit, you know, knowing that God loves me. When everyone seems to be around me, reject me. I can still go on. And I get a good example here. They rejected Christ himself, the living stone. That this must be, I think, of great comfort to those of you, as I mentioned, who are born again. By the way, you know that you are aliens here. This ain't your home. I said that to you before. Peter referred to the, the, this, these people he was writing to as aliens. Aliens to this world. You have indeed experienced rejection. You have felt it. Well, cheer up, I say. 
you are in good company. Peter tells us that we too have been chosen by God in chapter 1, verse 1, and that we are highly valued in chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. We are redeemed. By the way, what have you been redeemed by? Silver and gold? Mm -mm. Something much more valuable and precious. But by, I'm telling you what it is. It is the precious blood of Christ. You are, you are expensive. You are priceless. You have been bought with a price. Now, I don't know what that does for you when you think about that. If you stand up or sit there and tell me you have low self-esteem, I will talk to you afterwards in the corner and tell you, let, let me just slow this down again, I say, and let me tell you that you have been purchased with something as precious as the very precious blood of Christ. <sighs> we too are living stones, being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Believers not only make up the house, the body of Christ, but we are to serve Christ or to serve in the house. Isn't that cool? As holy priests. All believers are priests. Right, Priest Tillman? Yes. All right. And he has made us, this is Revelation 1.6, and he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. Now, under the Mosaic laws, the priesthood was limited to the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron. And I don't know whether, I don't think I related to Aaron and from that perspective. But I thank God that because of what it says here, that I too am a priest. Now, you remember that only the high priest was able to approach the presence of the Lord. And he can only do that one day out of the year during the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur. But we don't have those restrictions. How often can you go into his presence? Anytime, all the time, as you wish. Because the door is open. The curtain has been rent in two. We have immediate access into his presence as priests. Now, it'll be a sad thing if the priest is going to offer spiritual sacrifices and he has malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander in his hands, in his thoughts, because we know that that will be rejected. Spiritual sacrifice. What in the world is that, that we must offer as priests? Well, let's start with the basic. Your presentation of your body. You must present your body as a living sacrifice. What about the sacrifice of praise? Do you have anything you can praise God for? Um, or oh, you already did that last week. Is there anything you can praise God for today? Have you ever run out? Every breath that you take, you can pause and say, God... Thank you. Because you don't, he, don't have, he controls that. You don't have to breathe, you know. And some of y'all who like to throw tantrum as adults, you know, trying to hold your breath, trying to get your own way. You say, if you don't give me what I want, I won't breathe, you know. That's why God put that other mechanism in you that kicks in, you know, that is involved there. He will say, breathe, boy, you know. And if you don't, you'll pass out. And when you pass out, automatic system kicks in and you breathe. 
It's amazing. You can give God praise. Offer him the sacrifice of praise. This is the fruit of your lips. Giving thanks to his name. You can also give him the sacrifice of praise and also through your good works. I believe that this is pleasing to him according to Hebrews chapter 13. Your good works. That's also spiritual sacrifice and also the sacrifice of your service. And so again, those of you who served or offer your service in any capacity to the body of Christ, be assured that God is pleased with your sacrifice. Please, we have not been doing a good job of coming and saying to you, thank you, as we should. But we've flawed and failed. But please, because of God, God is honored and he's, he, he, he accepts that sacrifice. Please don't reject God because I refuse to tell you I appreciate your service. Always remember why you do what you do. I am just the beneficiary. God is the focus. I just happen to be on the side and get the spillover. But when you offer these, when you praise him and I'm sitting there, I'm just getting the spillover. I'm just getting the serendipitous benefit because you were praising him in earnest. And I, I'm intrigued and inspired by that. Don't let the people in the pew or those outside the pew discourage you, discourage you from serving the Lord. When we offer these spiritual sacrifices, we are told that these are acceptable to God. And here it is, through Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. And I understand, why did they say through Jesus Christ? I think in the Old Testament also, the high priest in Exodus chapter 28 Verse 36, it talks about the high priest wearing a gold plate in front of his turban. And this was for the sin that might be involved in offering the offerings of the people. So he wore this with an um, inscription on it that says, Holiness unto the Lord. And so even though those persons in the Old Testament, if you come to offer your sacrifice, just in case you had dirty hands or impure heart, the high priest, because of what he had, that was supposed to live... Lord, forgive them for they know not what they've done before they come and present their offering. Here we have the same thing. Christ is our mediator. Because sometimes when we're saying we're offering up our spiritual sacrifices, it is flawed because maybe we are holding or having one of these things. And some of us have probably been practicing it, practicing it so long, we don't even know or at least conscious of the fact that, you know, yeah, I do have this malice this envy. You know, I did slander this person. You know, I still hold that there's something hip hypocritical about the way I behave or act. And here I am coming here saying I'm offering, I'm singing these wonderful praise songs, offering up the sacrifice or praise of thanksgiving. And that's why it says through Jesus Christ, because nothing will pass through him as the filter that anything he passes, let's say to the Father and say, these are the sacrifices of my people. He will cleanse that so it goes to him pure like the milk, unadulterated. I like that because I mess up occasionally, most of the time. And so I like the fact that I have a mediator, one who will intercede for me when I mess up. And so I'm encouraged. I may be down, but not out. And that's because of my mediator. Let me quickly go on to this last part. We are being told in that uh, he, he doesn't enter play between, if you look through verse 6, 7, and 8, it talks about this living stone and the cornerstone, and he takes a little detour there. But let me encourage you, as, uh, as those who have been born again, 
we are told to put aside certain things. And then having done that, what is your privilege? That you are a priest, holy priest, that you can offer spiritual sacrifices. In verse 9, here are some other privileges that are ours, uniquely ours. You have been called a chosen generation. Chosen generation. A heavenly people with divine parentage, spiritual resemblance. Have you seen God recently? He's your neighbor. Look at him. You say, that's what, that's what Sarah said, is my Lord. Then she look at who Sarah's husband's name was. Abraham. And she calls him Lord. You have been called a chosen generation. Heavenly people. The divine, divine parentage. We also call a royal priesthood. Now, this is the second time Peter mentioned the word priesthood. The first time he says, holy priesthood. Now he says, royal priesthood. This is proclaiming the excellencies of God to the world. I think of Paul and Silas while they were in prison. They were singing after they get beat up in the middle that afternoon, whipped, thrown in prison. And yet at midnight, they were having praise time. They were offering as priests the sacrifice of praise. Now, how many of you can praise God in the midst of your suffering? We specialize in complaining. Where you is, Lord? Not Paul and Silas. They were praising God. And then immediately afterwards, you remember they had this visitor from beyond, and their shackles fell off, doors were open, and they, well, some of the other prisoners feel like, hey, this is our time now, boys, let's break for it. But no, Paul says, stay put. And then Paul took the opportunity to minister, to proclaim to the jailer the good news of Jesus Christ. So he became, in the function of a royal priesthood, explaining to him the excellencies of our God. He was singing earlier, giving the praise or sacrificial praise of his lips, thanking God, and then proclaiming him to the jailer. So in that one brief moment, you see him in the capacity as royal priest as well as holy priest. You're also a holy nation. And let's not mix up because Peter's using this in quoting uh, from Exodus, but also telling us that as a church, we are a unique people, the body of Christ a holy nation, the church, a special people in a unique way. We are valued by God. I remind you again, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. You should then reflect the DNA, the traits, the characteristics of your God, of your Lord, Jesus Christ. And so, my brothers and my sisters, like Peter, let us encourage one another in the midst of persecution that we should, if it does come from outside, it is ungodly and it should have no part on the inside. But we know from experience that it does exist. And so, when you hear it, reject it and remind them of who they are. Do not entertain it, because it causes strife within the body. 
How do you think a father feels when his children are maligning one another? It must grieve God's heart when it happens. Let's not be a party to that. Not let, not, do not allow ourselves to bring this God we've been singing about who is so wonderful, that tastes so good, that is so great, that has been good to you beyond measure. There is no scale to measure his worth. But when we step out of this environment, will people know that we are his chosen people? Do you feel that way? It is humbling, and at the same time, it's a special privilege to be chosen by God, to be born again, to reflect God in those characteristics or those traits that are commutable, that we can in certain degree. And so again, I encourage you, as we leave here this evening, that we go with, this, with that awareness that we are born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. And the world should know and see that there's a difference in the way we speak, in the way we behave, and the way we interact one with another. That should be a strong motivation. So they say, what's wrong with you people? You smile and say, it's what's right, because we have been born again. And I ask that God bless you, as he's always done, to the point that you have this constant awareness that you are his child. Pray with me as we close. Our Father, we are ordered, when we just pause and, and think about these simple but so profound truths that you've given to us in your word. Thank you for the new birth. We reflect on what it cost you your only beloved son coming into this world of sin and taking upon himself our sin. He who was innocent, bearing the full brunt of us who were guilty, and to die such a horrific, cruel death on the cross. I can't imagine what he was feeling when he says, my Lord, my Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? In that very special moment, when heaven seemed as if it was brass and there was no response. But at that time, he was bearing on his own body the, sin of the, the sins of the world. I thank you on behalf of all of my brothers and sisters here who have responded to the invitation to come and to confess our sins, to accept the invitation that you've given to us so that we might become your children. We pray there, Father, that the circumstances of our lives will not squeeze out the truth from our consciousness that we have been born again, that we have been born again by the very living and abiding word of God. And we pray that our lives would reflect that in every context that you call us during the coming days. These things, Heavenly Father, we ask in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's children says, Amen.